Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Mosin Hamid on his latest novel, The Last White Man. Mosin Hamid writes regularly for the New York Times, The Guardian and the New York Review of Books and is the author of Exit West, The Reluctant Fundamentalist, Moth Smoke, How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia and Discontent in Its Civilizations. Born and mostly raised in Lahore, he has since lived between Lahore, London and New York. And today we're going to be talking about Mosin's latest novel, which is The Last White Man. Mosin, welcome back to Little Atoms. Thank you. How would you describe this novel then? The Last White Man is the story of a young man uh, named Anders who uh, wakes up one morning and finds that his skin is dark. And when he'd gone to bed the night before, it wasn't. And he starts navigating a world where this begins to happen to more and more people with his uh, girlfriend, Una, Una's mother, and Anders's father, sort of at the center of what's happening in this small town as people change. And so how does this transformation begin to affect Anders personally, how he sees himself and how he carries himself? Well, Anders begins by uh, sort of not believing this is actually happening. And so he wants to make sure that He's not imagining things. He's not um, having some kind of a, a strange perceptual episode. He, he first is hoping that it isn't happening. And then when it becomes clear to him that this is happening, he hopes it'll go away or reverse itself. But that doesn't happen either. And uh, eventually he goes, uh, he has his uh, girlfriend Una come and have a look and um, hoping that she'll say, well, it's not, you know, not much. But she doesn't say that at all. She says that, in fact, you look completely different. And Anders spends a lot of time trying to convey to the world that he's still the same person, that he hasn't changed. But he discovers in trying to do that, that it's impossible to do, that just by trying to be himself, he isn't being himself. He's more self-conscious. He's less at ease. And yeah, so his, his journey, his individual journey before it becomes widespread is really one of, of uh, increasing surprise at how what appears to be a skin deep change is is affecting him much more deeply than that so tell us something about una who is his friend and then sort of on off girlfriend and then as the book progresses his his girlfriend um tell us something about who she is 
So Una is um, a young woman who uh, knew Anders in high school. They had you know, a bit of a relationship in high school. She left uh, their small town for the big city. She and Anders are similar in that they both lost a parent young, Anders' mother and Una's father. But more recently, Una has lost her uh, twin brother as well. And she's back in town helping her mother really cope with, uh, with this loss. And, and she finds herself in a relationship with Anders really just to sort of pass the time and something to do you know, while she's back in town in this difficult situation. Um, doesn't think much of it. And in fact, when Anders changes, she initially sort of thinks that you know this is more than she signed on for. She didn't want some sort of heavy, emotionally uh, invested, uh, tumultuous sort of uh, relationship. And yet she's surprised because Anders, even though he has changed, she finds her herself seeing him more clearly, and the relationship begins to deepen, uh, notwithstanding her earlier impulse to let it go. I was going to raise the idea that they both have this thing in common, which is both of their both of their families are touched by loss. Both at this time, the book starts, have a remaining parent. Um, obviously, Una has also recently lost her brother as well. But tell us something about um, Anders' father and Una's mother in the story. Then, So, as you say, the, the novel very much is a novel of loss. Um, it's about loss uh, and not just the loss of, of, of whiteness, uh, which Anders and others experience but of, of, of losses in life. And so both Anders and Una have experienced this loss. Um, Una's mother uh, has experienced the loss of her uh, husband when she was younger, and more recently her son, and, um, and has gone from somebody who imagined that the world was, generally speaking, a sort of benign and fairly righteous place to thinking that, you know, good things don't happen to good people. And in fact, things are taken from you and stolen from you. And she's begun to identify in a way with, uh, with something bigger than herself, something to hold on to, something which she thinks is, um, is under threat. And, and that something is, um, is a kind of ethnic sense of whiteness, of white people uh, becoming a minority, becoming uh, erased, becoming um, uh, less important, less significant, under threat. And so Una is desperate to prevent her mother from you know, spending so much time online and on TV and listening to chat radio, where she's, in a sense, being sort of radicalized by the, you know, by online voices. But Una's mother uh, finds herself born more deeply into this conspiracy theory, and in part because it turns out that there's some truth to it, that in fact, in the novel, white people are, in a sense, being erased. And so her paranoid fantasies find a, a reality to latch onto. Anders's father, on the other hand, like Una, uh, Una's mother has experienced the loss of his wife, and uh, he's, he's perhaps always been a little bit disappointed in his son, in Anders, because Anders, things never came easy to Anders. Anders had a tough time learning to read, to write, to tie his shoelaces, to do all sorts of stuff. And Anders' father, who is a you know, construction foreman, is a very get-things-done, sort of matter-of-fact kind of guy. And he, he hopes that his, his son will be able to have that kind of sturdy attitude towards life but he's he finds his son lacking in that and and when his son changes um anders's father in a sense feels feels it's a real blow because he recognizes that things will be much harder for his son now and things have always been hard for his son and and anders of course feels that uh, in a sense his disappointment of his father is is even more pronounced now that he has changed but despite that as is the case with una and her mother uh, which is a caring relationship with a lot of tension in it. 
Anders and his father have a, have a relationship of, of considerable care as well. Anders's father is, is profoundly unwell. And in fact, he's dying uh, during the course of the novel. And uh, he's doing his best to care for Anders, who is increasingly at risk uh, as people react to this idea of, of get people getting dark as malicious form and uh, people become uh, more aggressive towards Anders. But also Anders is trying to care for his father as his father passes through the final days of his life. And, and so both of the parental-child relationships in the novel, in a way, are two other love stories, uh, intergenerational love stories that balance, balance out, I suppose, or, or coexist with the uh, love story between Anders and Una. Can we talk about the setting for a moment? So the characters live in a small town, which is unidentified, and indeed the country is unidentified, although there are, there are enough clues to presume it's America. And in, in my head, I'd located it in a small, in a small town outside of a, a city like New York. But tell us something about the location it's set and, and I guess why you've anonymized it. Well, it's interesting that you say that um, it feels like America to you because uh, I've heard different things from different readers. Um, some American readers have said that uh, they think it's America, and some have said that, no, this is clearly not America. This is sort of you know, some Nordic country or perhaps South Africa. Um, and some people in Britain have said that you know, uh, it, feels, it feels like the UK, but there's some Americanisms that make me think maybe it isn't. The idea that the place is not entirely specified and that the reader needs to come up with a sense of what this place is has to do with, I think, you know, how novels work and what, what makes them special. Uh, I think that of the mass reproduced storytelling forms at the moment, we have uh, television and, and cinema, which present us with worlds that look very much like the world that we inhabit. But in a book, we are looking at something that looks nothing like that world. It's a series of words and, and spaces and punctuation marks. And we, the reader, uh, we readers animate that into, in a sense, the, the film of the novel in our imaginations into, into people and images and um, uh, smells and uh, feelings. And as we do that, we are creating the novel. I think that the novels that novelists write are really just half novels and readers create the other half of the novel. And so I intentionally try to write novels that leave a lot of space for readers to create. And readers create a setting in the novel because it's not exactly clear where it's set. And they also fill in some other details. For example, you know, what exactly do people look like when they change? You know, what exactly um, is the racial order that is being uh, created or, or undermined? And so the readers have to, in a way, make this because the novel doesn't necessitate a particular reading. And I wanted that to be the case. I wanted readers to be free to imagine it into a space that they wanted the novel to exist, where they wanted it to, uh, where they wanted to make it, really. So for me, it can be read as different places. And, and each reader has, has the freedom in a sense. Um, they're the location scout of the film in their mind where they, can, where they can position this where they want it to be. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Mosin Hamid. We're talking about his latest novel, The Last White Man. And Mosin, I thought of the US, I guess, trivially because everyone's got guns, but more so because obviously the thing that the book reminded me of is, and you, you clearly hint at with Una's mum becoming obsessed and being online, is the conspiracy theory of the Great Replacement, which is obviously worldwide because it's on the internet, but seems to be a thing that's particularly resonant in Trump's America. It's become sort of much more forefront and part of, you know, things leading up to like the January the 6th insurrection. And so I wanted to talk about that idea, where that idea comes from. Well, I think, um, you know, this idea of, of the Great Replacement is something that I suppose is, has been part of human history forever. We're just seeing you know, new permutations of it. At the most basic level, you know, every generation faces a kind of great replacement during the course of our lifetimes. Um, as we get older, as our numbers dwindle, and as young people uh, become uh, more numerous, and in a sense, our way of life, each generation sees its way of life give way to a new way of life. And, you know, throughout human history, there have been ways for societies to, to cope with this, to deal with this. One thing which I think has been happening more recently, uh, specifically, as you say, in the United States, but also uh, very much in Europe, I think that it may not be perhaps as widespread of you, but, um, uh, but I think it's also fairly widespread in the sense that um, in Europe, the notion of, 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 of migrants coming in, of, of, um, of European populations being replaced by, you know, in quotes, non-European peoples, is certainly an animating factor in, in much of, of politics. In Britain, in a sense, uh, you can regard the Brexit vote as, as partly a reaction to a kind of great replacement, although, of course, that great replacement wasn't necessarily uh, of white people with um, non-white people or, or not only that. 
but also of, of sort of native British-born people with uh, immigrants from other parts of Europe. But the basic feeling of it, the idea that one's group is uh, in danger of being supplanted, is something that has become very common all over the world, whether it's in Modi's India, where we see Hindutva and the idea of sort of reasserting Hindu greatness in the face of a kind of Muslim threat, whether it's in Pakistan, where you know, Islam is perceived as under threat, whether it's in Erdogan's Turkey or Putin's Russia, where Turkishness or Russianness is under threat. In place after place, country after country, we see people kind of coming up with these nostalgic appeals to the better time, uh, uh, the better time in history, uh, the time that has um, gone by. And, um, and so I think that Una's mother is reacting to that, which is, as you say, something that we see certainly in the US and elsewhere, but it's also part of just the general, I think, tenor of uh, our culture in the early 21st century. One of the things that, that struck me was once lots of people start to change in the novel, there's militias that take over and there's violence and there's riots and society starts to break down for a little while. And we see there's this idea that people who have always been black can tell who the people are that have changed and therefore those people feel threatened. Well, it's unclear if that's actually the case. So in the book, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly a fear. For example, Una's mother is afraid that this will happen, that there will be a way for people to tell who was you know, one thing and who wasn't. Um, also, you know, Andrews and Una uh, are, are walking uh, one evening and they see a man who seems threatening to them, but then he sort of laughs and walks away. And it's, it's as though what they were threatened by was their was the ghost of what they imagined this man to be. And it's not clear if he was always dark or if he'd become dark. Um, and of course, Anders and Una are dark at this point. So I think what we're seeing uh, to a certain extent in the novel are these echoes and, and ghosts and uncertainties. And I think that, that much of the uh, relationship that we have to race is full of this stuff. It's, you know, oftentimes there are these, these things where you're not quite sure, you know, was that a racially charged encounter or not? Was that genuinely threatening or not? Was that meant to be intimidating or humiliating or not? I mean, of course, there are times when it's very clear, but there's also lots of times when it's not that clear. And so what happens in the novel is that even though, in a sense, everybody becomes dark, there are still echoes of, of people's, uh, you know, fears and suppositions among those who, you know, who uh, are in the middle of their lives. Although we do see, for example, in Anders and Una's uh, child, uh, who appears very much at the very end of the novel, uh, many years hence, that her relationship to all this seems much less um, encumbered by these sorts of things. That as a person born native to this post-racial moment, uh, she doesn't seem to be quite so hung up or, or engaged in, and in fact is, is sort of impatient with her grandmother's, uh, and in fact slightly horrified by her grandmother's, insistence on, on clinging to some kind of a racial identity. So yes, there, there is this stuff happening. It is echoing around. It doesn't necessarily go away at once, but it is possible that over time it becomes less and less. And, uh, and as generations get used to a different way of seeing things, they find the need to, to think of these things less. And of course, you never give any explanation in the story as to why this change is happening, which in a lot of ways, just echoes the arbitrariness of, you know, racial categories anyway. 
But of course, as the change takes hold and the trouble starts and people are scared, we see people basically not leaving the house for long periods of time, which means also it's inescapable now to, to see echoes of the pandemic in this book. Yeah, I think the, the, the book, in a sense, does have echoes of the pandemic. I mean, the, the book doesn't raise the idea that it's kind of, uh, you know, some sort of uh, pandemic related phenomenon, which is causing this, this, uh, uh, this effect of people becoming dark. It's, it's left completely unexplained. But the emotional dynamics around it are, are in a sense, related to the pandemic, which was unfolding, you know, as I was writing. Um, the idea that there's, there's something which could suddenly change life, that um, suddenly you know, going to work or going to school or traveling uh, might become uh, impossible. You know, that first one person is heard of as having changed and then more and it comes closer. And for a while, it's not quite clear how bad this is going to be. Will, will this descend into like full scale violence? Will there be uh, you know, no society left when it's over? It's uh, maybe a little bit hard to remember now, but in those early months of the pandemic, we weren't quite sure just how bad this was going to get and just how dangerous it was going to be and just how profoundly human society would be transformed. As it turned out, the pandemic, uh, while had, it had you know, a horrific impact on millions of people who died and, and many more who lost loved ones and who got very, very ill, it didn't have perhaps that worst case uh, scenario of a kind of plague-like uh, death toll. But the fear that it might was there in the early, early part of it. And so in a sense, in the novel, that fear of what it will be, you know, what will happen from this? How bad could it be? What, what will be left of society? Is present and and of course what happens in the novel is is that you know something else is born and something else comes into being and the experience passes. Uh, but yes, it is it is a novel born of that pandemic time. What other of your personal experiences have influenced the the idea behind this novel? Well, uh, you know, so many things. One of them would be uh, how around the age of thirty in two thousand and one. You know, I I went from being you know a brown skinned Muslim man, but uh, Muslim you know, with a Muslim name that could be identified easily as being a Muslim. I went from, uh, in a sense, having felt fairly low level uh, encounters with discrimination. I wouldn't have read discrimination discrimination as a particularly important part of my life um, in two thousand and one. I mean, not to discount it completely, but it it seemed that you know if you lived in New York City, you had a well paying job, you know. You'd, went to certain elite universities as I had, that you were uh, able to sort of uh, avoid the worst of, of discrimination. And then after 9-11, suddenly things changed. And, um, you know, there was, was being stopped at the airport and, uh, and being you know, held in immigration for hours and you're forced to register when you enter the United States and people getting uncomfortable if you boarded a bus, you know, unshaven on the weekend with a backpack and sometimes they would switch seats. And, you know, being hauled off an aircraft on the tarmac uh, after you'd already boarded and sat in your seat, these sorts of things. And then for me, there's a profound sense of loss and a sense of, you know, um, I want things to go back to how they were. And, and I started thinking, you know, as the years passed as to what I had lost. And I thought, you know, to a certain extent, um, there were certain privileges of a kind of partial whiteness that I had enjoyed. You know, if, if whiteness is the idea that one can simply be you know, just be a human being without the attachment of suspicion or threat associated with, with being a Muslim or being dark-skinned. That was, in a sense, lost. Uh, the, the partial benefits of that were lost. And, and I think I dealt with that in a way, in a specific, you know, Western Muslim mutual suspicion uh, context in, in Dr. Fundamentalist, which I wrote about 15 years ago. 
but the overall idea that that race is this imaginary thing and that it can be imagined into very different shapes, uh, you know, almost overnight, uh, stayed with me and and I think uh, uh, very much fed into you know Anders waking up one day finding that his racial category has changed. And in terms of other books that might have been an influence, I mean, Kafka's Metamorphosis is is the obvious parallel, but but what other books maybe? Well, you know, I've always been uh, an admirer of sort of uh, mid, you know, 20th century modernist literature, uh, early mid. So, you know, the Virginia Woolf's and Kafka's and, and Camus, but also Jorge Luis Borges. And Borges, I think, um, is very interesting as a writer because he's so uh, engaged with both uh, playful tweaks of reality and formal experiments and also, in a sense, the idea of how we see ourselves and how we are mirrors and how those mirrors constantly reflect uh, each other. And I think that idea of, of kind of people being both mirrors and imagining uh, onto other people's mirrors what they think they see, uh, I think is a, that sort of Borgesian idea. Certainly, I would, I would think of as a kind of shaped me as a, as, a, as a younger writer and that will probably shape the outlook with which I approach this book. To finish us off, can I get you to read us a bit? Sure. So this is the very beginning of the novel, uh, how the story starts. One morning, Anders, a white man, woke up to find he had turned a deep and undeniable brown. This dawned upon him gradually, and then suddenly, first as a sense as he reached for his phone that the early light was doing something strange to the color of his forearm. Subsequently, and with a start, as a momentary conviction that there was somebody else in bed with him, male, darker. But this, terrifying though it was, was surely impossible, and he was reassured that the other moved as he moved, was in fact not a person, not a separate person, but was just him, Anders, causing a wave of relief. For if the idea that someone else was there was only imagined, then of course the notion that he had changed color was a trick too an optical illusion or a mental artifact born in the slippery halfway place between dreams and wakefulness, except that by now he had his phone in his hands and he had reversed the camera and he saw that the face looking back at him was not his at all. So I've been talking to Mosin Hamid. We've been talking about his new novel, The Last White Man, which is out in the UK from Hamish Hamilton. Mosin, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me. Thank you. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.